Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm your host, Rob Kennedy, and today we're speaking to Mark of JobHubble. Hey. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. So tell us what JobHubble is. So JobHubble is an app that turns a typical job posting into a shareable app that makes it really easy for employers to offer financial incentives to people so that they'll share their jobs with their friends. Cool. So it's a recruiting platform plus. Yeah, so as um, if you get a little deeper into the software, it's a recruitment platform that lets a lot of people work on a single job, mm-hmm. uh, which we then tailor and market to do as a social media word of mouth recruitment tool mm-hmm. uh, for anybody who's looking to post a job. So how did you discover that this, because there's a lot of jobby type things in the universe, yeah. whether the consumer facing or, you know, like monster all the way to LinkedIn. All, how did you find out, you know, this is a problem that needs to be solved. Yeah. You, you want the long story, I assume, right? Uh, ma- marginally long. <laughs> okay. So, uh, what happened was, so my background is in economics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I came up through like financial markets, you know, I did like an internship on wall street when I was super young, that sort of thing. And then I end up falling into recruitment, like every person who gets into recruitment falls into it. Mm-hmm. And immediately within like, you know, a month of being in the recruitment industry, the, it was interesting that it, it, I got into an interesting time when uh, things like Monster and Workopolis had just been released mm-hmm. and the industry was trying to figure out where exactly this is going to affect us. Cause before that, none of it had existed. The, the model for business was entirely different and it became apparent that the, uh, this market should, in my opinion, run like much more efficiently, like a financial market, but the technology didn't exist. And at that time it was probably even a little too ambitious of an idea. Um, but it kind of just stuck with me. This was early 2000s kind of thing? This is like 2004. Okay. And then uh, just over time, I kind of eventually had this, the idea kind of uh, took hold, if you will. And then I was able to say, okay, you know what? I think this actually might be the way to do it. And I think technology has caught up with cell phones, et cetera, that this actually might be doable. And so I started like playing around with it and trying to figure it out. Um, and then, so, so you we, had a day job and you were yeah, yeah. I mean, drawing I, things or at what? At the time <laughs> I was doing it, I, I had started a small recruitment firm of my own. Mm-hmm. And then, so we ended up doing what became the original job hubble was like a, a professional version of this, again, like uh, many recruiters working on one job. So we essentially created what we called open market recruitment, where you could have any number of recruiters working on a job and we tailored a whole bunch of services around that, which is not that interesting. But um, when we went to market, we found that, you know, given things have been since 2008 and social media had changed a lot in that time, uh, there was a much more demand for an inexpensive way for employers to do a, a lot of people working on a job, but in a word of mouth or social component. Um, and so we retailored the solution to meet that. So the, so the monsters of the world sort of came along the arc of, they found a niche, they built a niche up, they got really huge. Monsters and, and whatnot? Monsters and those kinds of things. They'd come and then you saw as they were sort of established themselves at that point, you're like, you know, there's this whole social mobile thing and they're not capitalizing on it? No, this is even before that. I mean, this okay. is before LinkedIn even existed okay. or anyone even touched it or before a recruiter like even knew LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still remember the first time I saw LinkedIn as a recruiter, it, you know, it blew me away. But the, the reason why... Uh, it changed thing was before the what we call like the online public resume database was the way you were a professional headhunter 
was if you got into an elevator with four people, you needed to have their resumes when you got off the elevator because it was the only way to source resumes. I mean, it was a kind of like a, you know, like a person-to-person thing. So companies built up these internal databases of people that only they knew about. So imagine you're an employer, you're trying to find somebody and someone can say to you, I uniquely know 80,000 of this type of person in Toronto. Mm. You know, you hold all the cards. Mm. Suddenly, this was a public, you know, good that anybody could buy for mm. a couple hundred dollars a month. And they weren't quite sure, you know, how this was going to, I mean, there was like a struggling between like, is Monster Workopolis even a good source of candidates versus our internal database? But you know, Monster Workopolis had a million people on there very quickly and suddenly anybody could be a recruiter because mm-hmm. I can now have my own million person database for a thousand dollars a month and now I'm in the game. So that's where it was really, really changing. Um, at the time, Facebook was very new. All of this was like the idea of recruiting on social was not <laughs> yeah. even in the, in the rear view mirror yet. Right, right. So then it, it was around late the late 2000s when you discovered that, you know, intertwining social and... Well, um, the social thing really evolved from when I first thought of the concept to now. Mm-hmm. Even things like share widgets and whatnot, just making the software financially feasible to create right. changed. Um, the big thing was, was cell phones, right? People had become much more used to doing things with their cell phone, giving out their cell phone number. Uh, we authenticate every user through their cell phone for security reasons because you can't really do an aggregator of recruitment if people can have 13 accounts. And so that was one of the main things that, you know, people, it, the market was ready to say, you know, let's do cell phone validation. It was actually interesting to see, even though, I mean, 99.99% of people don't know Job Hubble, but it was interesting for us to see as we were developing it, you know, suddenly Facebook was doing, you know, cell phone uh, authentication, et cetera. So it let us know that actually this, the market's probably ready to actually do this. So you were building this. I mean, I think you said to me the first version was released in 2013. So rather recently. 2012. 2012. 2012. Okay. And then uh, it took you a, a fair bit of time to build this. The, the platform. The, the, no, the initial oh, yeah, build. The initial, it took us, I guess, maybe about eight months of like, you know, 24 hours a day working on it. You know, <laughs> and so what, you were running the recruitment headhunter firm while building this? Is that no, how you're doing it? Stopped? Probably, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, I hadn't picked up, I didn't pick up a phone in recruitment uh, for all of 2012 and all of 2013. How could you afford that? What did you do? Well, we raised money uh, through our friends and uh, family round. Yeah. And that basically was the money we needed to do what we wanted. How many were you building the platform? Just me and uh, my co-founder, Adrian. Cool. And then uh, what was the form of that? I mean, that really is an investment, really. What was the form of that investment? Was it convertible debt or was it we'll pay you back or you just get equity immediately? Or uh, What we did was we sold um, warrants that uh, were not like they could, they're not debt. So basically mm-hmm. as a way to defer... Um, as a way to defer dilution later, mm-hmm. we said, you know, here's your warrant. You can redeem it for shares if we ever, you know, God willing, was sold, mm-hmm. um, or at the latest date, based on whatever our rules were for this particular investor, you, you know, redeem, you know, 30 days after the next raise and the dilution skip has, has passed. I see. And the advantage to uh, you is that you're not even con- deferring the dilution or con- deferring the valuation stuff. Like with well, convertible debt, you. Defer the valuation. That's why you do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we just wanted to keep it simple and we wanted to give people the ability to say, okay, you know, my shares will be worth X in the future. 
um, you know, these people necessarily weren't in finance who uh, yeah. did it. So it was just an easy way to do it. Um, you know, it allowed us to kind of keep things very clean and uh, it worked well for us. I mean, that's basically why we did it. We did it with a couple of investors and we just basically said, you know, everyone's doing the exact same deal. That's right. kind of an easy thing to yeah, yeah, yeah. understand. It, yeah. So there were all family and friends or there were some other outside? They either knew me or they knew Adrian. Got it. Yeah. And then was that, did that money last for the ability, like for the duration yeah, of the time it, for you to build it? it lasted uh, for as long as we needed it to last. Yeah. Um, and then we looked to raise money um, in the start of 2013, um, which, you know, I, I, it was probably lucky that we didn't raise money. It wasn't the right time for us to take money at the time mm -hmm. because, um, as we've mentioned, we inevitably did a pivot. Mm -hmm. We found maybe more was our market niche. Mm -hmm. um, so then we, you know, we definitely ran into like some financial, like the, the bank account got low. Yeah, yeah. And we had to like, you know, really find ways to like, you know, bootstrap and, you know, dig our way out of it. Um, so, but yeah. Um, so, but when you launched the 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 product in, I guess, late twenty twelve. Uh, uh, so what was the animal? Was it that, you know, I, as a, you would go to employer, a recruit employers and be like, Hey, you know, sign up on our platform or would you just go like consumer level and be like, you should refer people. Like how, how did you, yeah, yeah. How, how, how did the product work at so that time? We were basically advertising on LinkedIn to recruiters, to professional recruiters mm -hmm. to say, you know, what our platform basically does is it gives you jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, which is music to a recruiter's ears. Mm -hmm. So we drove, you know, we have about 12.5% of every Toronto recruitment firm registered on Job Bubble. Okay. Um, and then we went to employers directly and said, you know, we can help you save money on your placement. We can help you more effectively find the recruiters that are going to match up well for you. Mm -hmm. um, and we can take out the paperwork, that sort of thing. Um, it worked well for the people who used it. Mm -hmm. um, but our problem was uh, twofold. One, it, it was really hard for us to build a marketing plan that we could replicate and scale because it was a commission-based model. Okay. So we didn't know uh, what the variance would be and where those placements would be, meaning like if I'm going to make one in four placements for the four jobs that come up, I don't know if I'm going to go one in every four or if I'm going to you know, miss nine and then make three more later. Right. And that makes it really hard to budget and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then the other problem was there was just so much more demand for the social side of it um, that we said, you know, we could probably build the social side out of it. We have the platform, we just have to kind of tweak it. Uh, and then we can also then keep the existing software and instead of doing a cold call and asking everyone, do you need a recruiter? We can call our existing clients and saying, you know, we see maybe you've been trying to recruit for a while, you're interested in professional recruiter services as well. It seemed like a better play for us. So if you're, if you're just tuning in right now, this is entrepreneurs in small rooms drinking coffee. I'm Rob Kennedy and we're talking to Mark of job Hubble and you were just saying, so you launch a product, you'd sort of burnt through the initial, uh, investment that you guys had. And I think if I'm understanding you correctly, you said, Oh, well, you know, as we, once we launched it, um, we were starting to get these points you just made. Yeah. Uh, and then you you knew that you had to tweak the product or move it in a slightly different direction or expand upon certain features to kind of make yeah. it a more so compelling I, offering. Yes, I mean we had revenue mm -hmm. uh, from the product. We had customers that liked it. Who pays for it? The employer pays. So what happened upon is, successful recruitment. Upon successful placement. Okay. Um, but it was just it was it was clear that it was going to be a hard model to replicate and 
There are companies in the It was clear because... Well, because um, I couldn't put into an Excel sheet and say, if I pump this much money into sales and marketing, mm -hmm. this is even what my quarterly return is going to be because mm -hmm. the variance can be so high. Okay. I mean, ask if you ask a recruiter who's you know been in the business a while, mm -hmm. you know the horror stories are just you know beyond. I mean, people run from the industry screaming because the things can just be so crazy. I mean, it, so it was just it was going to be hard to do, and it was also hard to communicate to investors. Um, you know, how this was going to work, what it was going to work. And, um, and, but I think really the strongest reason why we changed it was, you know, you have to listen to the market when you talk to people. Mm -hmm. um, you can't hold on to what your original vision was because it can be either too early or maybe, you know, the way the world wants to use it is slightly different. You have to be flexible to that. And the, the people weren't saying we don't want a lot of help on the job. They were saying, we need. We want to do this in a much more low cost way, and placement fees, as anyone who's hired them, can be quite expensive. Mm -hmm. So we we just basically listened, and especially because we, we felt like we had like ninety five percent of the code written, we just had to change the way we present that code to the end user. So it was like a shift from presenting a solution that was going to primarily operate B two B to you know running to business to you know john q public mm -hmm. who you know will have a very small interest in doing this like they're just you know doing it because they might make a couple thousand dollars for referring a friend they're not going to get into like a deep investigation of things so right. it's a totally different did you do you think you spent i'm, I'm just asking you spent you said you spent eight months building it initially or something like that yeah. do you do you think you would, should have done it faster so that you would have learned that sooner or do you think that no it was the right amount of time to it spend matter. There, was, there was no way to do it faster we worked so hard tirelessly i mean like i'm just saying on pencil and paper like would you have done it the same way if you did it again because you said you learned a lot as yeah. soon as you went and then you're like, oh shit, we should do these things. Could you have learned that sooner, or is that the right? I, I know think, it's revisionist yeah, history, but I, I, yeah, I think you know the the theories that say you have to get out of the building and ask people like mm. about your product. Um, absolutely, you know you have to do. But in terms of the development, um, you know I could probably do it a hundred times over again, and it's still going to take X amount of time. Even having learned stuff because software projects just always go long. I mean, right. like my. My co-founder has 20 years of experience mm -hmm. um, as held director level positions. And even still, I mean, it's just, it just takes longer than you think. And as you even start to do stuff, you start realizing that maybe you, you like you had to consider something, you start to morph the, the product. And so, you know, we definitely got out there and we asked people and talked to people about it. And I, being in the industry for 10 years, I had a good sense as to what would fit. Um, but, you know, you, it, it's different when you ask 10 people versus asking, you know, 200. Yes. Um, because, you know, like, again, the variance is so high depending on which 10 you're asking and you're probably going to ask 10 people close by. So it was just like a, an experience. I, I don't know that we could have done it any differently. I don't know that I had this idea until I actually got out there and played around. And how are you sure... And I guess this goes, we're going to get to it in a second, but you're about to relaunch again. How, how, do, how do you um, avoid... Inevitably, there's noisy uh like whales they're called like the big customers on your platform that probably oh, okay. give you the most revenue and they might have specific requests that might not be part of your vision or it might just be their needs how do you filter out those kinds of requests and say you know i know you want that but that for 99 percent of the people that probably want to apply and and not be influenced by that well being influenced in my opinion is not necessarily a bad thing if the math works out 
So if what they're asking for that's unique is not necessarily difficult mm. uh, and might actually end up being useful again because there's a chance if one person wants it, maybe another person wants it. Mm -hmm. This might be an applicable service. I mean, actually, just last night, um, I was speaking with someone who would like to use our service, but they also want to use it in Montreal. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to do like a French version of it. Right. Um, because, you know, it's not going to like, you know, break the bank to do it and uh, it might be something that ends up helping us you know it might be a symbiotic kind of relationship there so right. you know it, you definitely I, the point of your question is do you want to get chasing your tail every time someone asks you for something well and how do you parse it really because yeah. inevitably it happens right and so how do you that's my you know theory is like you know if this person's paying your bills maybe you do anything they want you to do um, otherwise you gotta just kind of like balance it and, and make a decision um, and just basically make the best gut decision you can make at the time. Who knows if you're going to be right, right? Like, so how did you weather? So you, you launched, you got a ton of good feedback. You're like, okay, clearly we need to move the product in this direction. And you got to almost today. How did you weather that time financially? You just get used to like living with all the finer things in life. I mean, <laughs> you know, the starving entrepreneur, or the starving artist is like a real thing. You, mm -hmm. um, if you wouldn't want to be a tech entrepreneur to, you know, I mean, the end game is always, you know, yachts and things like this. But this isn't like life for an entrepreneur in the early days, right? Uh -huh. um, it's, you know, you really have to cut back and you have to really pitch your pennies because you don't necessarily know when the revenue is over the hill or when the money's over the hill. And you just basically, you know, bear down. And if this is what you decided you wanted to do, you give it your all and you just live with that choice. Right. And so you, I think you, you kind of mentioned before that like just for the interim period, you still like when you do call clients, they ask you full for the stuff you used to do in the past, the full service kind of yeah, recruitment so, stuff. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I did it for a long time. I've recruited actually for the majority of, uh, some of the big startups in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, people do still ask for recruitment service and because we got out of the professional recruiter market as a primary vehicle um, we're now able to offer professional service to companies if they want us to do the recruitment so if someone says we need like professional recruiters we let them know about both we say we like we have a professional market with you know over 100 recruiters if you'd like to go that direction we can also do it for you if you would like us to you know because sometimes people who i'm speaking with you know know me from before mm -hmm. um, i don't mean to sound like most of them I mean, just they no. have a relationship with develop me, a so network like specifically Mark, would you please, we know you because you, you know, help us again. So now we have, you know, two uh, ways of generating revenue. And, you know, um, I read, I forget the book, and I'm terrible to quote someone who I don't uh, remember the title of the book, I can't give them a plug. But I read a book basically about the same concept, which is that, you know, companies need to have the software thing they're doing, and they need to have a service thing they're doing because... Really? Yeah, in times when things are bad, service revenue helps you stabilize for when times are good, when the, the software side is good. Isn't that a focus problem though? Like, I mean, I've said this on the show a bunch of times before, but I believe that all services companies want to be product companies and it's yeah. a different skill set. I mean, you've come at it from a different perspective, which is you had a service that you could offer. You are a product company or a SaaS company. Uh, how do you not get, I mean, somebody's dangling, you know, you're like, you're, you're not enjoying a steak. You're enjoying your peanut butter. Somebody comes up, you like, you know what? I really, I like you. Here's, you know, 10 K to recruit a few people. Would you do it? And you're like, mm could continue down the product path, but I could also recruit for these guys. How do you balance that? So the balance for me is the focus should never be on product or service. It mm. should be on revenue. Okay. 
Okay. And so you go down the rabbit, the path that builds you a business and you shouldn't have issues as to where a successful business comes from. Right. And so you need to manage that. So, I mean, this case, but long-term revenue in my mind, it's long-term revenue. I, I, eventually you build a product or a SaaS business that scales that requires investment at the beginning yeah. where services revenue could come in immediately. Yeah. But, uh, the way I would respond to that is that I, I'm not saying you should ever shelve something like the, the distribution shouldn't be a hundred zero, right. but whatever your distribution is, you should be able to look and see like, so if everyone's calling you or buying the service mm-hmm. and no one's calling and buying the product, why would you keep driving into like you need to be flexible and listen to what mm-hmm. is actually driving because the end of the game in entrepreneurship is to have a successful business mm-hmm. it's to have a product that people want to pay for mm-hmm. um, if you're too rigid as to what you want to sell them you're most likely just going to have run an experiment that most times doesn't work out um, if you are flexible in it what you most likely will have at the end of it is a business that generates revenue and has value um, so you're feeding back the you look at them holistically and you're feeding back that when you're doing if you do services work you yeah. feed back that into the product they're sort of symbiotic yeah. is that yeah, how you exactly. look at it so like if i'm speaking to someone who uh, wants the professional service we are also able to sell our primary uh, word of mouth social recruitment vehicle because we would post the job for them if they don't want to yeah and then charge them for the can or they can do it directly themselves and so you can work it in both directions so we're lucky that uh, the sales calls, you know, work for both. So if we sell one, we're likely going to sell both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so both help us build either side of the business. Um, we would obviously prefer, you know, 10 times over to drive the product side of it. Sure. But the market, I mean, we're basically making a bet that this is a product that fits within the market. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're right, then the market will take care of that for us. You know, mm-hmm. the amount of attention and whatnot. And this is true of any entrepreneur. It's like if you have something that people want and you have a product market fit, you don't have to necessarily even worry about raising money or any of these sorts of things because it just starts to take care of itself, right? I mean, if you have something people don't necessarily want to buy or don't have product market fit where that's defined as if you took it away, people would be upset. Mm-hmm. The Sean um, Ellis test. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, actually, that's where I learned it from. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Me too. <laughs> so... If you don't have that, I mean, don't worry about raising money. No one's going to give it to you. So that's actually a great segue because you're, you know, um, you've, you've got a platform and it, and it does generate revenue, which a yeah. lot of people can't do these days. It's yeah. still hard to do, even if it's not like it, it pays revenue. for more than peanut butter. It's still yeah. revenue. Yeah. Um, uh, why not take money from somebody? Why do the services side of things? Why not find go back for another round from your friends or go to an um, angel or... Well, that's, I mean, that's assuming that we could necessarily raise money. I don't okay. know that the appetite is always there. Yes. Um, we're also in Toronto, for better or for worse. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, strictly speaking, a different place than San Francisco or New York. Mm-hmm. The amount of money floating around is just different. The expectations are different. Mm-hmm. This is a different, you know, it's a different place. Um, the appetite for, you know, the investment, I mean, to raise money, you really have to show, I think, that you have a product that people want to pay for and that investors can see where that's going to expand out. Um, For 99% of the the businesses, that's how they're going to go about raising money. If you have a rocket ship, again, you don't even necessarily have to worry about it. It's easier to assume you don't Mm -hmm. because if you do, 
the world's going to tell you, you know, someone's going to knock on your door and say, oh my God, can we give you money? <laughs> you don't have to like assume it or worry about it. It will just end up But that, so there's two, two chunks to it. You rightly point out there's the, we've got product market fit. We're scaling and shit, we need money to, to kind of manage that scale and, and like own it rather than have it own us. And then there's the other side of things, which is like, you got something, <laughs> you just need some more traction or some more time yeah. to be able to figure out exactly, you know, you're, you're honing in on product market fit. You just haven't totally got there yet. Yeah. So I think obviously you're not quite yet in the latter part soon, but you're in the, I got something, why not just take money? I'm not trying to harp on it. Yeah, I'm just, no, we I, talked about it before I, and I think I it's think, a really interesting. Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, I mean, you, if you read articles and I, I surely did to look around, you see these articles that are like, is raising money the kiss of death? Mm -hmm. And when, like we talked about before, when you're trying to raise money as a first time entrepreneur, you don't want to hear any of this. You just, you know, <laughs> you want the money. That's the plan. You know, why would I never raise money? Isn't that what everyone's doing around mm -hmm. me? That's the, the cool kids are smoking. So I should. Smoke exactly. It. So. Uh, but the reason why it may not necessarily be the right thing is if you don't have what I would say is a business, right? You don't have a market. You don't have a way to extract a profit from that market. If you raise money, those investors are going to set targets for you as they should. Yes. And if you don't make those targets at the end of your runway, it's over. Yeah. The company has no ability to pivot. You're not going to be able to raise new funds because if your valuation is lower than the valuation you did before... I mean, no one is stepping up to the plate for that. So you really need to be in a position where what you're doing is something you have confidence will replicate. Like you, I, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea for 99% of investors or entrepreneurs to raise money to do a new product. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. um, entrepreneurs are always worried that someone's going to copy their idea. Um, statistically speaking, this is never going to happen unless you're a rocket ship and if you're a rocket ship, you most likely already have money anyways. Mm -hmm. um, for the majority of people, it's like, it just doesn't happen. It, you have these like terrible feelings like you, someone's gonna copy my idea, but no one's gonna copy your idea until you have proven a market and you've proven that you can extract money from it. Like the first Groupon clone, and there's millions of them. Yeah. It didn't happen one week after Groupon launched. Right. It happened after everyone said, wow, Groupon's making a lot of money. Right. So you Do you really think the mindset's still there that people, because I mean, it used to be, don't tell anyone your idea, it's a secret, now it seems that it's like, it's it, ideas are cheap, execution is what's hard. So do you think that mentality is still there that people are like, I don't want to share my idea? I think people are nervous to share it. I think people who, in my circle of people who have done it, have no problem sharing their idea because they know it's not easy to get by. People don't want to raise you know, money for anything, generally speaking, not to mention putting in the time to do the code and whatnot. It's really the lunatic entrepreneur who will actually you know jump off the cliff and do it mm -hmm. and if they land safely then other people might follow but right. you don't have to worry about being cloned while you're still mid-flight right like you can just worry about focusing on the business and then you have something that you know you can work off of so as you've been bringing in revenues and as you've been um uh, uh you've learned um as we start to close out the show, you, you said that you're just about to relaunch your platform. So what, what is involved in the relaunch and why relaunch it? What's different? So we, we have relaunched it yeah. just like this week actually. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> and so uh, what's different for us is because we're making it more of a word of mouth social, it's, it's a big change for us in terms of how we present the platform. I mean, no one sees the code working behind. They mm -hmm. just kind of see the show, of course. 
Um, so when we did it as a professional recruiter uh, market, as an example, our website was tailored to employers to show the benefits of the service. When you're trying to build um, a word of mouth platform, now our website is tailored to the people who are going to refer friends and share jobs right. to candidates. So that's why you have to, why we had to relaunch it because it was a change not only in uh, our vision but also in the way we marketed the solution. So. Yeah, totally different. Your consumers now, sort of. Yeah, so I mean, it's ninety nine percent the same code, mm -hmm. but changed the way. So we, we had to change the way people used it. So the usability of it was very different. You know, enterprise applications. You can ask people to spend a more time. To learn. You can force them to train on exactly, it. Exactly. You can't force consumers. Can, exactly. Yeah. Um, and we had to, you know, make it something that people could use on their phones because now we're going from you know enterprise people at their desk to you know uh, social media. So now it's on their phone. So it was just a big shift for us in terms of how we did that. So now you're targeting someone like a me and you're like, I would log into JobHubble now and be like, oh, there's this awesome job and I know, you know, Nick could do it. I'll refer Nick and I might get some money out of if, if he closes the exactly. deal with the employer. And furthermore to that, because people, you know, might verbally offer you a referral fee to do that. Mm -hmm. What we're doing is we're making it super, super easy for someone to do it because you may have no relationship with the company that posted it. Mm -hmm. And frankly, you probably have a lot of stuff in your life and you're way too busy as much as you'd love to help Nick. Um, I am a fancy executive, so exactly. it's, I'm very busy. It might, it might fall to the side. By having the functional functionality built into the job posting itself, mm -hmm. in four seconds, you can make that referral and you know that we track everything, we're gonna collect the money for you, et cetera. Even if you just want to share the job on your Facebook or LinkedIn page, because let's say, like you said, you're a fancy executive, you've got 10,000 10, connections on LinkedIn. Yeah. You're thinking this is a vehicle that maybe could generate revenue for me, but how? Even just by sharing a job with JobHubble and posting that job on your site, if that ends up helping that company hire somebody, you make that money. You're basically turning everyone into a recruiter. Who wants to be. Right. Uh, and, yeah. At, at their own level of effort. Exactly. And not surprisingly, the people who have the biggest networks of people, the people who we're most interested in, mm -hmm. are the people who most want to refer friends and share jobs because, you know, why not make a couple extra thousand dollars and help a friend? Is there a problem? Like, theoretically, you know, theoretically, <laughs> the value prop of a, a recruiter is that they vetted these humans and that they have some skill set. So you're paying them for that, not just the, you know, here's a bunch of random leads, but they're vetted people. Mm -hmm. um, do you run the risk of, I'm like, well, I could use $2,000. Let's see, who do I know who? Yeah, so it's a good question. People always ask, well, will I also get people I'm not interested? Mm. And the answer is of course. But uh, as any recruiter will tell you, it takes five seconds to look at someone who isn't right for the job and say, you know, thank you very much for the application, mm. but it doesn't work. It takes hours and hours and hours to find any net new candidate once you've done like your original dig. So mm. if you've done your search, you've posted, you've got, you know, like when you post a job, the majority of people that apply to you apply to you in the, in the early part of that and then yes. it just ends. Yes. Uh, so now what do you do? And, or if you're, let's say, recruiting developers, as an example, on a regular basis, and you've been, you're a company, so you've been doing this for a while, how are you going to break out of that bubble? How are you maybe going to... Because you get the same resumes over and over again, you're just like, how okay, whatever. How are you going to recruit into maybe a school where you don't do it on campus? You need a way to network in, and as a recruiter with 10 years experience, the only way to do that is to financially incentivize people to do that, yeah. and to make it super easy for them, and that's what we allow employers to do by structuring our job up in that way. What's interesting is that 
uh, it almost seems like you've moved, you've changed direction in, a, in almost a, a slightly more difficult way because, uh, you know, getting people who are willing, like enterprises or small businesses may be willing to pay something. Now you have to build a brand with consumers effectively. That's time consuming and expensive. Is that, how are you going to, it'll take some time to build the snowball. I mean, this show is going to be listened to by millions of people. Yeah. So, you know, that costs you. <laughs> All right, everyone sign up now, jobhubble.com. Um, but how are you, that's a quite a different marketing shift, not just changing the skin, but then yeah. the marketing effort that goes along with it. How are you going to tackle well, that? Are you changing, bringing on different staff to help kind of do that? Or are you, how, how? Well, we're building it out slowly. Mm -hmm. um, when you're when you have a platform that's about sharing, luckily our user base help ex, helps expand. Our it's inherently base. viral, yeah. yeah. Um, but we don't have any misconceptions as to how long it takes to build uh, a name in the social space. So our vision is not that we're going to be a rocket ship. Our vision, of course, is that we're probably going to be a middle of the road company, and if right. we're going to be a rocket ship, we don't have to worry about it. Right. Um, so we're focusing on you know the markets that we know people first, and we're going to listen to the market and see where that pulls us yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll figure out again so the idea is you know is there a market that people want to pay for mm -hmm. how are we going to acquire all these people we want to join and then what's the math so that we can do that at a profit margin mm -hmm. and then once we have that information then we'll know whether we can do it you know get big faster area or whether we're going to be maybe a local player um, right right there's plenty of successful businesses that play just in small spaces yeah we'll see where that takes us but yeah, I mean, it's, so it's hard to build it up. Um, the important thing I find, even if you're doing these sort of plays, is to not get ahead of yourself. Just because you're not known by everybody, so I mean, let me rephrase this. Everybody thinks too often about capturing the whole market, and it's not possible. Mm -hmm. You just have to go for your early adopters first, mm -hmm. and once you have your early adopters, then you can do things where you can start to get the early majority and then the late majority. If you start trying to worry about acquiring everyone it's just senseless because uh, while there are plenty of people who are interested in trying something new it's still a small percentage of the overall space mm -hmm. um, so to circle back to your question we're not necessarily worrying about getting really big we're just worrying about getting really entrenched with a group of people that are happy with our product and then we'll worry about expanding I see. So you're going to target, at least at first, the people, the consumers who are most likely to convert because they have large networks. And in the past, you've seen them being more willing to exactly. act. And, you know, um, technology, I think people in technology are a little more willing to try technologies and just mm -hmm. being in the space. Um, so that's where we're, we're targeting early and it's a space I know well, having you know, recruited in for a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so for better or for worse, that's our strategy and we'll find out as we go through it, whether, you know, it turns out that what we're really good at doing is helping restaurants hire waiters or whatever it is, right? We can't, as, as we were talking about before, you can't yeah. be entrenched sure. with an idea. You have to see where the market is because it may not even be in Canada. Right. Um, you know, you do have to have that flexibility. Is the service available beyond it's Toronto? Avail or? It's available in all of North America. Okay. Um, logistically speaking, we just don't, you know, touch too many cities. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have the resources to do that. But yeah, anywhere in North America, I mean, we have people actually, have, you know, registered from all over. I mean, all, I don't know how they find us, but from all over the world, mm -hmm. people uh, attempt to register. We only accept North American cell phones. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, cool. Well, well, thanks very much for your time. I'm sad to say we're out of time, but uh, 
thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming, Mark. Uh, so uh, this was Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm your host, Rob Kennedy. We spoke today with uh, Mark of JobHubble, and it's jobhubble.com. Yes. That's where you go? Yep. Cool. Check it out, everybody. Uh, just relaunched, shiny and new. Uh, <laughs> make your thousands of dollars today. Uh, thanks to Nick Kuhn for producing the show, and thanks to the working group for hosting us. And uh, see you next week, bright and early, Thursday morning at 8. Thank you as well. Bye.